Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Copy God's Word, once you find the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 tonight. It's going to be an incredible night. I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. And I just want to shout out anybody that's live streaming right now. We are live streaming, so if you have people that aren't here, but they're like working or something and they can watch things while they work, I think that's called robbing your employer. Don't text them uh, the message, but uh, anyway, you can text it to them some other time. And um, I, I don't know if anybody got to get outside this last weekend, but it was a beautiful Easter weekend, and I was just basking in the much-awaited sunshine, right? And so we've been waiting for this time of year to come around, and it was great. And it, and it took me back. I was really appreciative of the weather because it took me back to the, the snowmageddon that we had a, about a month and a half ago. Y'all remember this? when like the ice storm came from hell, right? And Anna and Elsa, they were there and you were there and we were like, we hit this piece where, um, I don't know if this happened where you live, but where I live, they were just doing like temporary power outages. Like your boys paid his bills. My wife was skeptical, right? She's like, why's the power out? Did you pay? I'm like, yes, I paid the bills, you know? And, and so they're doing these temporary power outages and we're, we're like, can they do that? You know, like I felt so un-American in that moment. And, uh, and then I start looking on the news, and I see my people down in Texas. Now, I'm very proud of Texas, and if we haven't met before, that's where I'm from. You'll find out in, in just a few minutes. But anyway, um, I'm very proud of my people in Texas. You've never met a humble Texan. But when we were um, watching the news unfold about what was happening in Texas, my people were losing their minds, y'all. Like the power outages are happening, there's conspiracies, there's conspiracies, you know, whatever they're called. There's people losing their minds down there. They're like melting the snow, thinking it's fake snow down there that the government somehow has concocted to reinforce their plan about how the global warming and all of this stuff. And I mean, people in Texas are losing their mind. But here was the problem in my household. We were waiting on the power to get turned on because I have four girls in my house. And girls, you know this to be true. If there's a power outage, you might as well just stay inside all day, right? We ain't getting out because we can't get our hair done did. We can't get ourselves together. And we could not accomplish our purpose that day until the power got turned on. And so the scene that much of y'all experienced during that time was you were just kind of sitting around waiting for the power to get turned on so that you could accomplish your purpose that day. And I start there tonight because I think that's a great picture, a great setup of of what we are about to see in God's word. You're about to see this, that, that there are these people called Jesus followers and they're simply waiting on God to turn the power on so that they can accomplish their purpose. And I don't know if you've come in here tonight. I don't know I don't know if you've come in here wondering like what does God have to do with my life? Is there any plan for my life? I'm here. I was invited here asking those kind of big life questions about who am I? Where am I headed? What's my purpose? But let me just be real clear with you. You are not an accident. I know your parents may have said you were a mistake, all right? Okay, but you, all right? God knew that you were going to be here tonight. And God, the God of the galaxies, he knit you together in your mother's womb for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. He has dreams for your life. 
And if you've come in here kind of stumbling through adulthood, wondering what is it that, that my maker has for me, let me be real clear. He has something very specific for you, but you can't accomplish the purpose in which you were made apart from the power of God. And so we're in this series called The Way, and The Way was like the, it was like the reputation of the first century of Jesus' followers. And so like they, th this group of people that said, we're gonna follow Jesus, and we're gonna give our life to following him, um, they weren't really known by the book that they read, per se. Uh, they weren't really known by the Bible, or by the, uh, by the building that they went to, per se. But they were simply known because they were so filled with the power of God that they began to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which says this, that God, perfect, holy, righteous, amazing, awesome God wants a relationship with you. And so tonight, what, we, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the first church service ever, and we're gonna see some things that happened then and see how that impacts and influences our life tonight. So if you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, The First Church Service. And I wanna give you two things about God from God's word and one opportunity to respond to it. So again, if you're just now jumping into this series, Acts is this book in the New Testament that, that was written by a guy named Luke. And, and Luke was a doctor, and, and he, was, he, was, he was paid to do like this big research project to kind of figure out, okay, what was it that swept the Roman Empire and began to reform and reconstruct things and begin to impact people in ways that had never happened before? And so Luke is kind of writing how all this got started. And last week where we left off is that the people of God, they, there's 120 of them waiting on God basically to turn the power on. And we pick up in Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, now Pentecost, that's not a holiday that we celebrate a lot in our culture, but, but this was a very, very jolly holiday in this culture. And so they were celebrating, it's harvest season. And so when harvest season is happening, like the money's rolling in, people are, are excited. And I don't know if you've ever been around people that are just kind of normal people that get excited about the money rolling in and just imagine what sort of things that they're doing, all right? And so they're, they're turning up in this season. And, and here's what it says. They, this is the 120, they were all with one accord in one place. So imagine you have 120 people, they're in Jerusalem, somebody's got like this dope Airbnb, there's like Mardi Gras going on outside and you have these people in the midst of Mardi Gras, aka Pentecost of the Bible, and they are pleading and praying, God, would you turn the power on? And here's what it says in verse two. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is one of the highlights of all human history. Like what we are reading right now is when God, the Holy Spirit, steps into reality. And so what's happened is in Acts chapter one, you have this 120 people, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, and here in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit has empowered them, he has joined them. In Acts chapter one, they're saying, Jesus, would you equip us to do the work that you've called us to do? And in Acts chapter two, the Spirit is falling upon this group and empowering them to do so. In Acts chapter one, they're held back, and they're waiting, and they're desperately saying, God, 
would you come soon? Would you send your spirit? Would you turn the power on? But in Acts chapter two, this is the beginning where they're about to burst forth onto the scene of human history. In Acts chapter one, Jesus is ascending into heaven to the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit of God is descending upon the people so that the anthem of the book of Acts can become a reality. And the anthem is this, it's Acts chapter one, verse eight. It's the thesis of Acts. It says this, that you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the anthem of Acts is going into action because the Spirit of God has fallen upon the people of God. Verse five, it says this, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I think sometimes when we are reading this passage, it can get kind of twisted and there could be all sorts of places where people will land. But let me just kind of give you two things real quick. This word language, there's two Greek words that we find in this particular passage. And so if you want to geek out on some Greek, here you go. All right, the first word for tongues that's mentioned in verses three and four is the word glossae. This word is translated into known languages like Spanish, French, Latin, etc. all right? And in this term here in verse five, where it says that, or excuse me, in verse six, where it says that they were speaking and they understood in their own language, this is the Greek word dialectos, where we get our word dialect. So what you have is that the Spirit of God falls on these people and they begin to speak in languages that were known languages in the right dialect. And the people around them that had traveled from all different regions understood them clearly. This isn't babble, this isn't confusing, this is, this is men who did not know Spanish are now speaking Spanish without a twang, all right? You, you tracking with me? And here's what it says in verse seven. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? <laughs> so you're gonna see this pattern all throughout the book of Acts, that, that you're gonna see these people begin to do things that, that shock the known world, all right? So what's happening right here is people are speaking in such a language, in such a dialect, and the people are like, we understand them clearly, but aren't those guys from Galilee? You know, like this, like they're not anticipating these folks being bilingual, trilingual, or a multi-whatever, Right? I mean, these are like deadliest catch, kind of like they pass gas and laugh at it kind of guys. You know, like this is the crew that's going on. Like they're not the sharpest tools in the shed, all right? But now they're speaking in a language and it's, it's confusing to the crowd because they're like, when did they learn our language? How did this happen? And they're marveling and they're amazed. And it goes on in verse eight. It says, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then it goes and rips off in verse 11, like all of these different regions in which these people have gathered together to turn up for Pentecost. And then it goes on in verse 11, it says, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So the spirit falls, men and women begin to declare the wonderful works of God in languages that are known languages that other people who have traveled in to turn up for Pentecost can clearly understand. And in verse 12 it says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And then in verse 13 it says, and others mocking, saying, 
They're just full of new wine. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly flexing in the book of Acts. Like the Holy Spirit is the main role in the book of Acts. And he is mentioned over 50 times in the book of Acts. And, and again, you have these uneducated guys that were speaking in known languages, glossae and dialectos, so that people could understand them in their native tongue. That God is using ordinary people to reach other people in extraordinary ways. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you'd write this down. God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. Listen, God is literally speaking their own language. He's meeting these people right where they are in a way that they can understand. So um, a few years ago, I got to go down to Mexico, and um, we went down to central Mexico to a place called Guanajuato. And um, when I jumped in the van, I didn't know I was gonna be in the bilingual van, but I know like three Spanish words. I took French all in high school. Doesn't help you when you're going to Mexico, all right? I'm like, au revoir, you know, ciao. <laughs> okay, all right, we're gonna, hola, all right, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I'm just like, taco and nacho, that's about all I got, right? I get in this van, and they begin to start teaching me some Spanish but there's not a whole lot of Spanish you can learn in just a few hours on your way to Mexico. But I get down to Mexico, and we're on this mission trip. If you don't know what a mission trip is, it's kind of like a vacation with a purpose where you go tell people about Jesus, and, um, and you try to help out in that area. So that's kind of what we were doing. And I remember the last day, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to share the gospel with this young adult that's working in this hotel we were staying at. So I was like, hola, como estas? You know? And uh, he's like, hola. I'm like, tienes un momento, you know, and that means like, do you have a minute, you know? He's like, yeah, I ain't got nothing to do. And he didn't say that, he said something in Spanish. And, and so, <laughs> um, I think he said that. I was like, all right, I'm going for it. And, and I just began to rip off, el hombre pecado separado de Dios, Jesus Cristo, on la cruz, Jesus Cristo resucitado, en la tres días, tienes Jesus Cristo en la cruz, That's all I had. You know, I just kind of, I kind of shared it. I've been watching Telemundo, and I was like, no. What I said is that man has sinned. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus raised from the grave in three days. Do you have Jesus in your heart? And he said, no. And I, and I said, do you want to know Jesus? And he said, see. And then we prayed. And what I did is I tried to package the gospel in his language. Now, this wasn't like a Pentecost moment, all right? I'm not speaking in like crystal clear Spanish or in the perfect dialect, but what I'm trying to say is this, is that I tried to communicate the, the, the bare necessities in a language that he could understand, and the Holy Spirit allowed him to have understanding. It wasn't Pentecost, but listen, anytime someone responds to the gospel, it's a flex by the Holy Spirit. And it's a miracle. And you may not need the message tonight in Spanish, but, but make no mistake, God is speaking very clearly in a way that can meet you right where you are. You may not need Spanish, but you may need to know that you're loved. You may not need Spanish, but you may need to know that you can come to God just the way you are. 
You may not need it in Spanish, but you, but you may need to know that you don't have to go through any rituals. You don't have to learn any sacred language, but God wants to meet you right where you are here tonight. And you may not need Spanish, but you may need to know that God sees you, that he loves you, regardless of what you've been doing even today, regardless of how you spent Easter weekend, regardless of the guilt and the shame or whatever you have carried in here tonight. And make no mistake that God loves you and he has customized this moment to meet you right where you are. That the Spirit of God falls, men begin to make utterances in languages so that the people can understand God on their level. And listen, there's never been a time where God is not in pursuit of you, and that he, he has sent me here tonight. He has orchestrated this moment right here tonight so that he can make his love and his purpose and his desire to have a relationship with you known clearly. Either God makes mistakes or he doesn't. And this moment is not an accident, and you aren't either. And God wants to meet you tonight. So what happens here is that, 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 that most people, they'll kind of pick this passage and they'll just kind of build, a, like a, there's, there's denominations built on this little portion of the book of Acts. And they'll, they'll really highlight this first part of chapter two or the back end of chapter two. And then there's so much right in the middle that, that, that we have a tendency to come into places like this and just kind of skip over. But I wanna sit in the first sermon that was ever preached at the first church service ever and I wanna look at some things that are said. So if you were to look at, there's a guy named Peter. He's kind of a big deal in the church. If you were to look at Peter's podcast feed, this would be the first message that would pop up on his podcast feed. And so here's what it says in verse 14. It says, but Peter, let's just stop right there because I think some people, maybe you've heard that, that name before, but you really don't know who Peter is and why this is significant that, that my guy Peter is standing up right now. So, so what, what, what's going on with Peter, first of all, is that this is a guy that lived in time. I think sometimes we just kind of read the Bible as if it's kind of fictitious characters that really didn't live in real time and didn't struggle with ha real things and didn't really have a past and they just, they kind of had it all together and they were, they went to seminary and they were groomed to be preachers and that's who we're reading about. This is not Peter. Like the fact that Peter is standing up right now is crazy. Peter's a guy that, that followed Jesus for three years and when Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And he did that as Jesus was dying on the cross. Peter ran away and he went back to his old way of life, which was fishing. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he, he called out to Peter and basically he was saying, Peter, I know that you've done things that you regret. I know that you denied me, but I haven't denied you. And I haven't given up on you. And I have a purpose and a plan for your life. Again, you may have come in here and you may have spent Easter alone, sleeping in, doing, doing whatever you wanted to do. And maybe you come in here tonight and there's this level of shame and guilt like I am someone who has, has denied Christ. And I don't know why I'm here and I don't, know, I don't know what God would even have of me anymore. And I'm here to tell you that Peter stands up, boldly proclaims the truth of God and the fact that Peter stands up and is used by God is hope to anyone that we could be used by God. 
And like it's, it's bizarre because Peter, he went from denying Jesus to declaring Jesus. And I think the true miracle of Pentecost is that once timid, Jesus-rejecting people are now fearlessly making known the mystery of the gospel. I even look at my own life and I'm thinking, what am I doing up here? Like if y'all knew where I came from, if y'all knew, if y'all knew my past, if y'all knew the things that I've done, you'd be thinking, we don't need to be listening to this guy. But there was a time in my life where I took the gospel seriously. And I said, God, if you will have me, I will be your man. And I asked him to fill me with his love and his forgiveness with the spirit and empower me to be able to make known the gospel clearly. And the fact that God would use any of us is an amazing reality. So Peter, he stands up and he begins to preach and it says, but Peter, standing up with the 11. Now, side note, like what if Peter would have never stood? Like think about that for a second. Like what if he doesn't stand up, then the 11 don't stand up? And I wonder if you're here and you claim to follow Jesus, just a little side note real quick. What areas is the Holy Spirit prompting you to stand up and speak in which you are choosing to sit down? What people in your life do you need to stand up and share the love of Christ with? Billy Graham, he says this, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. And when I see you sharing your faith, just like these men saw Peter stand up, he was their leader. They stood with him and they began to do the same. Peter, he raised his voice and he said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He's like, hey, guys, it's only 9 a.m. And then he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So I love that, that Peter's showing up on the scene. He's like, hey, um, hey, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Joel. We're not drunk, right? And so I just love that he just kind of clarifies that. You know, I know that we're excited, but it's 9 a.m. and we're not drunk yet, all right? I don't think he was gonna get drunk that day. I should have said that. But anyway, he says that, oh, go ahead, open up your Bible to the book of Joel. He begins to explain how there was this promise that took place hundreds of years before that the Spirit of God would indwell a group of people, and he's saying that just took place. Let's go. And he goes on to say this about Jesus in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Like Jesus is this guy that Peter's saying, you saw him do amazing things. You can't deny what you've seen with your own eyes. He's speaking to a crowd of people that maybe were fed when Jesus fed thousands of people. He's speaking to a group of people that maybe were healed or witnessed the healing of someone that Jesus healed. And he's saying that, that God, he attested to the fact that Jesus is God by the way he moved miraculously through his life. And Peter's like, you saw these things. You have to do something with Jesus. He goes on in verse 23 and he says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. What Peter is saying is that, that, that Jesus, he died at your hands. Like Peter's turned a corner here in the message and he's like, Jesus is God, you killed him. And he's being bold and he's calling them out. But he says in verse 24, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then he goes on to reference some other parts of the Bible. Then he returns back to this main, or to one of these main ideas in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
So Peter, he's pinballing between two ideas in the first sermon ever preached, in the first church service ever in the history of the church, and he's saying that, that you are responsible for the death of Jesus. He's saying that there's this, there's this terrible thing, the worst thing that's ever been done. But he pinballs and says, but God used that thing to save the world. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. God holds us responsible. God holds us responsible. That Peter, in his sermon, he's making a really bold statement here. Again, he's saying, you crucified Jesus. And like, what, what gives Peter this authority? What gives him the boldness to say this, men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, women who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they fearlessly make known the uncomfortable truths of the Bible. That Peter's saying, Jesus died because of you, namely because of your sin. That he says that, that we're speaking in a way where you can understand God wants you to know that he loves you, that he wants to embrace you, that he has a purpose for you. But also, Peter is confronting us with the uncomfortable truth that you need Jesus. And this isn't just a message that was relevant for this day and age. Like we've all come in here tonight and when you read the Bible, what you begin to understand is that God is gonna hold us responsible for the death of his son. Because Jesus came to die a sinner's death, but he was not a sinner. And so the reason why Jesus died was to pay for the sin of mankind. And that's the sin of the people in the past, that's the sin of everyone here in this space and those in the future. Now, maybe you've come in here tonight and you're thinking, okay, well, well what is sin exactly? You know, how, did I, how am I responsible for, I mean, what's going on with this and what is that? Well, let me just give you a quick definition of sin. Sin is robbing God of his glory. Sin is robbing God of his glory. Sin is like a, a, is like a, a form of spiritual plagiarism, all right? So think of it about this. Y'all remember having to write papers back in the day and you had to make sure that you got the sources or you didn't copy and paste. Some of y'all, you flunked junior English because of that, right? And so you had, to, you had to get the sources, you had to footnote the sources because you didn't want to plagiarize. And plagiarism is when you don't give credit to the source. And this plays out in all kinds of ways, all right? So let's just kind of talk real quick about how you and I have sinned. We've robbed God of his glory. One of the ways, any foodies in the house? Any foodies, like you just get excited about food trucks and get, go to the parlor or you go nice restaurants. I'm a foodie, all right? I love getting some good food. And so um, what happens oftentimes is that I will enjoy food, but I'll forget to tell God, thank you for the food. And then when I slow down and start thinking about all of the things that have gone in place for us to have food, like it kind of boggles my mind, you know? Like, I don't know if you ever look at a cow and you just kind of contemplate the cow, you know? You think, man, we get so much from the cow. I smoked a brisket on Friday. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I smoked a brisket. And like they, they used to just throw the brisket away. The brisket comes from here on the cow. But, but they found out they could take the brisket, you could put it at a certain heat, and the fat on the brisket will begin to reduce. You gotta put the fat side up, right? And it'll begin to reduce down. And like, it's amazing. But when I'm looking at a cow, I'm not thinking, I'd like to eat the chest off that thing, right? <laughs> I'm thinking, man, this thing stinks. It's gross, you know? But God, he gave us dominion over that cow. We can take the brisket, we can smoke it, and then he's created chemical reactions within our noses, within our tongues, so that we enjoy food. I had ice cream this weekend. Praise God for ice cream from the cow. You know that cats don't have a taste bud on their tongue that can taste sweets? That's why they have the devil, all right? But God put inside of your tongue 
an ability to taste sweets. Why did God give us taste buds to be able to taste sweets? Because he's a good God. And so often what we'll do is we'll blow through barbecue brisket, we'll blow through ice cream and those types of things that we like to eat and we'll never give God the credit. It's a form of spiritual plagiarism and it's a sort of sin. Or, or maybe it's not food. Maybe you, anybody like to travel? You ever go somewhere and just like, I love traveling, you know, just love to go to the beach or the mountains or wherever, you know. The, recently, my wife and I, we got to get away to a place called Zion National Park. And it's one of these places that when you look at it, there's just this overwhelming sense, like in your gut of smallness. You ever, you ever been in a place like that? Where you're just like, wow. And, and you, you look upon something as grand and as gorgeous as like Zion National Park and the canyons that are there and you can see the Milky Way galaxy and there's something even in the most staunch atheist that goes, I am small, there's gotta be something bigger than me. <laughs> but what we'll do is we'll just travel from place to place and we'll take selfies and we'll post it on social media and we'll get our likes and we'll make everybody jealous because we got to travel during the pandemic and all that stuff, right? And, and we will blow through and we'll never give God the credit for the creation that he's made. And it's a form of spiritual plagiarism. And so not only do we plagiarize, but we also do things where we, we begin to even pervert the content. Like, like God has given sex. Thank God for sex. He made all of the things work the way that they are to work, and it's meant to be so much more than just a physical thing. It, it, it's meant to be in the context of marriage. He's given this beautiful design in this context so it could flourish. But we've hijacked that, and we've robbed God of the credit that he deserves for creating something so beautiful, and then we have this tendency to pervert things and objectify people and abuse things, and it's sin. And it's sin that led Jesus to the cross. And what do you think God's doing in heaven while we're eating food and traveling places that he made, and while we're indulging in ple pleasures contrary to his design. What do you think God's doing? He's patiently waiting for you in your season of plagiarism while you locate the source of all creation. But if you locate the source and you don't give it credit, then you will fail the assignment. And we know that when it comes to writing papers, but I don't think we know that when it comes to eternity. And if you have come in here tonight and you're living your life in a sort of spiritual plagiarism, enjoying all that God has given you but not giving him the credit, you will fail the assignment of life. And so Peter, he's saying, because of this sin, you killed Jesus. To put it another way, Jesus died because of our sin, and he died for our sin. He died for the porn addict. He died for the, the, the alcoholic. He died for the gossip. He died for the self-righteous. He died for the racist. He died for the, the greedy. He died for us all, and there's no sin that his death cannot overcome. But, but you gotta own it, y'all. 
oh, this is so uncomfortable. That's why it's so weird this is the first sermon ever preached in the first church service, right? Like, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, like, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the grace of God and, like, the love of God, and we're just gonna camp out there. I'm not gonna be, you killed Jesus! Let's pray, you know? <laughs> that's, that's coming at you, all right? But I think what Peter's trying to help us understand tonight is until you own your fault, you will never receive forgiveness. Until you see your guilt, you will never receive grace. And you'll spend your life like a convicted murderer on death row, denying your guilt when a bargain plea would set you free. So why not just recognize that you're not perfect? I think we can say that ain't nobody perfect. We all got issues. But do you really see your need for Jesus? Has there been a point in your life where you understood that it was my sin that killed Christ? That Jesus, he died for you and he died because of you. But I love that that's not the end of the message. Like, like Peter, he, he calls us all out in the message, but then he goes on to say things like, Jesus didn't stay dead. Right? I love this because he says sin didn't win, death didn't dominate, but Jesus rose because the grave couldn't hold him and the enemy couldn't stop him. And, and Peter, he's just letting everybody know that, that your sin killed Jesus, but Jesus is bigger than your sin. And he says, like, Jesus raised from the grave and hope is alive and you can know this Jesus. Now, it says that when the people heard this in verse 37, it sounded out, now, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, this phrase, cut to the heart, you could circle that phrase, and it's a unique phrase in the New Testament. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible, and it captures this, this feeling, like when you, when you really begin to wrestle with the weight of your sin, that you've robbed God for, of the glory that he is right, we're all glory thieves in this place tonight. When you really begin to wrestle with that, like there, there are moments where you feel cut to the heart. Like, have you ever been, has your heart ever been broken over your sin? Have you ever been cut to the heart? I remember the first time I saw The Passion of Christ. I don't know if I've ever seen this movie. It's rough. And so I was a freshman in college when it came out. So I'm like 18 years old. I'm in the theater, you know, watching The Passion of Christ. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm watching this movie. And, and, and as the, the gore and the, the murder of, of Jesus begins to set in, as demonstrated by Jim Caviezel in this movie, I, just, I slowly begin to sink in my seat. And I'm so anxious watching this thing. And I just want to go, stop! Stop and go cut the tape. I'm not worth this level of sacrifice. And I'm feeling this angst inside of me because my heart is being cut as I'm coming to grips with the reality that I am responsible for that. And I don't deserve it. Mel Gibson, he's the guy that made the movie The Passion, and he's featured in one scene in the movie. And it's him holding a nail on the wrist of Jesus and hammering the nail in the wrist. It was Gibson's poetic demonstration that he was the one that crucified Jesus. And that's the reality for us all, that our hands held the nails that went into the hands of Jesus. 
Now, what's crazy to me, man, and I, and I know I'm not alone, but like I begin to wrestle with, you know, times in my life when I've been emotional. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about times in your life when, when like you just got, you got really brokenhearted and like you've been cut to the heart. And, and, I, and I think, man, I should be more upset about certain things than other things, you know? Like, I don't know if you ever think about your relationship with God and, and all that he's done for you, and then, and then, like, you go back to, like, 10th grade, or you go back to a certain time, you're like, when you were 24 or whatever, and you broke up with that person, and remember how emotional you were and how heartbroken you were? What is it gonna take for you to experience that same level of brokenness over the fact that you've broken the heart of God? And I don't think it's until we get to that place when we've been cut to the heart that we are with integrity ready to ask the question that this audience asked in the first church service. Here's what it says. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they raised their voices and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're saying, what must we do to be saved? I'm taking ownership for my sin. I killed Jesus because of my sin. What do I do? Is there any hope for me? Peter, he goes on to say this. He says in verse 38, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. That just means removal of sin or forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Our response to God. Our response to God. Anytime your heart has been cut by the truth of God, some of you, you're here tonight and God is working on you. Anytime your heart has been cut by the truth of God, it demands a response. And if you consistently just have your heart cut up by God and then you just leave and you don't do anything with it, your heart will grow hard towards God. And you'll have calluses that fill in and God's trying like a spiritual surgeon to do some heart work on you, but you're just neglecting it and you're not responding accordingly. And so these men and women are like, what do we do? And Peter gives them a response. He says, you need to repent. Repent is this Bible word. It means you just think differently. You, you begin to think differently that leads to a different way that you live. He says you repent and then you receive forgiveness of your sins. You, you go public with your relationship with Jesus. That's what baptism is. And the Holy Spirit will empower you so that you can accomplish your purpose. Have you responded to the invitation to know Jesus? Do you have forgiveness of your sins and do you have purpose in your life? Are you partnering with God through the Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in life? See, when it comes to an invitation, I think there's really just two responses. You can either accept it or reject it. Now, I think in, when we reject it, we can reject it actively. No, I don't want that. Or we can reject it passively. Like, let me think about that. So I talked to a buddy of mine this morning, and I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, well, we just landed from Indianapolis. We were at the Final Four, you know, the basketball tournament that just took place. And, and we were talking about, I was like, oh, my goodness, what happened? He's like, man, we were there when Gonzaga hit the buzzer beater, and it was epic. The crowd's going crazy. And then this guy, he's a Baylor alum. And so he was like, then, you know, Texas had to let him know, all right? And so Baylor Bear, you know, they, they went in and they wrecked Gonzaga's undefeated season. 
we're sorry. Anyway, and so he was telling about all the excitement. I want you to imagine that like three weeks ago, he calls me and he's like, hey, Chad, this is Jimmy. I've got some seats to the final four in Indianapolis. Now, my, my guy, Jimmy, when he invites you to do something, you typically find a way to go because he's not budget on anything, all right? And so they had good seats. He was living large. And so if he would have invited me to go, I would have had really just two options. One option would have been, yes, I want to take the invitation and go and, and, and celebrate and be a part of this epic thing every year called March Madness and the Final Four, the championship, all that stuff. Or I could have rejected it outright. Hey, man, I don't have the time. I don't want to do that. But I also could have done this. Hey, let me think about it. Imagine I said that. The weekend comes and he calls me again. He's like, hey, tickets, Final Four, do you wanna go? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm still thinking about it. And then I called him today and I was like, Jimmy, hey, are the tickets still good? Can I go to the game? He would go, no, the game's over. You thought about it too long and you missed your opportunity. See, when it comes to an invitation, there's really just two options. You can accept it or you can reject it. And maybe you've come in here tonight and when it comes to the invitation of following Jesus, having your sins forgiven, partnering with the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish your purpose, you're like, man, that ain't for me. You know, I came here just to check things out and we're glad that you're here. Please keep coming back. But but maybe you're here and you're like, yes, I, I have fully accepted that. I've gone all in. But I think there's this other group of people that have been processing with us for quite some time and we, we share over and over and over that God loves you, he wants a relationship with you, he gave his life for you, he has a purpose for you and when we ask about a response, you're just thinking about it. And you're the perpetual processor. And you'll come in here week in and week out and you'll move my sermons. You know what I'm talking about? I'll say something, you'll go, You'll move my sermons to death, right? Mm. 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 But you'll never move when given the response. And there's no such thing as comfortable, cozy Christianity where you just sit and you move a sermon and then you leave having been cut to the heart but never responding. And, and in all love, you're dancing with damnation. And you're inventing a version of Christianity that's not found in the Bible. And if you're the perpetual processor and you're not making a step to follow Jesus, then that leads to weak, anemic Christianity that doesn't change anything. And it's not really Christianity. And so what's your response? If you want to accept Jesus, what the way that that looks, Peter says, is that you, you repent. Again, that's a change of thinking, and that means that you, you go all in. Like, I don't know if you've ever been cliff jumping, but you can't just kind of half cliff jump, right? It doesn't work. You, you, get, you go to Table Rock, you get on the edge of the cliff, and you go all in. And when you take that leap, you plunge, and you are immersed in water. <laughs> that's a great picture of what it means to go all in with Christ you take that leap and you jump and you are plunged and immersed in a couple of things. First of all, the love of God that leads to the forgiveness of your sin. You do not have to pay for your sin. 
And here's the reality, you can't. But you're accruing this debt called sin in your life. One day you will die, you will stand before a judge and you can't foot the bill. So how do you, how do you expect to pay? The only way is to ask Jesus who is rich in mercy and grace to forgive your debt. Why would you not do that? I may be, I guess I'm dumb. It just seemed like a good deal. Your sin, his righteousness. Not only do you get forgiveness of sin, but you, you get to partner with the Holy Spirit. You get immersed in the Spirit of God. And you think God wants to see you thrive and flourish, be healthy mentally and physically, to be successful in your, in your field that he's gonna call you to? Yes, but he doesn't want to see you flourishing and thriving apart from a right relationship with him. And he wants to fill you with his spirit and partner with you to accomplish the purpose that he's called you to. And that's an invitation that I will always say yes to. What about you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you just for this opportunity to get into your word, to look at the first church service and how you propelled men to be bold and to stand up and to fearlessly make known the uncomfortable truths and the unblemishing promises so that we can, to this day, still be the recipients of the invitation to know you. God, if somebody's been cut to the heart, help them to ask, what do you want me to do? And help them to hear clearly, repent, go all in, jump off the cliff, be immersed in your love and your forgiveness and your spirit to accomplish their purpose. We ask that you would move now, Holy Spirit. You're welcome here. And would, you, would you have your way? In Christ's name, amen.